Hi, everyone. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life podcast. And I'm your host, Janine Strong. You know, I never know whether to say host or hostess. Maybe somebody can elucidate that for me. Anyway, I'm your host or hostess, Janine Strong. My guest today is a truly inspiring human being, Daniel Bruce Levin. Danny walked away from an opportunity to run a billion-dollar business to hitchhike around the world to find inner peace and happiness. Frankly, sounds like my kind of guy. People thought he was crazy. He knows well the courage it takes to do what you want to do and walk away from what everyone else is doing to create a life that connects you to your purpose. His book is called The Mosaic a beautiful fable that touches the heart and soothes the soul. Danny calls the mosaic the vehicle of connection, and I'm going to let him tell you what that means. Hi, Danny. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Janine. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, I will just let everyone know we've had a wonderful, oh, what, maybe 20-minute or so chat beforehand and made a really nice connection, so I'm really looking forward to this. Me too. I was going to say I already know how you are because we've already talked, but <laughs> they don't. They don't know that. So, <laughs> and I wanted to tell you, I love uh, your, your the mosaic website. The video clips on it are just beautiful, and it's it's really well done. Um, so, folks, even if for some reason you're not interested in this, which I can't imagine, but you should go to the mosaic website. We'll be giving you all that information later. Uh, just to see how it's set up and the beautiful videos from around the world. They're, they're really, they're really gorgeous. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you. Oh, you're welcome. So I'm going to, a quote from the book that I really, um, I really think is, is important. When you hear your own inner voice, you realize everything in the world is speaking to you through voices you never heard before. Suddenly, doors open everywhere, and everything you seek is already right in front of you. I I love when people read back to me my book because <laughs> um, because it shows me over and over again how I how with certainty I become a hundred thousand percent sure that I didn't write it mm-hmm. because as mm-hmm. I was writing the book, what happened was. I had written a story for one of the most sought after hotels um, and, and their opening was like talked about all around the world because it was a new branch of Hyatt, which was called Andaz and it was in oh. Maui. Mm. And so, and it was a, uh, an environmentally right hotel and they were doing things just interestingly and somewhere along the line, the general manager and I had had known each other for some time and he called me up and he said, Denny, I want to, I want you to write the story of our hotel. And I said, nice, but why would you think I can do that? I've never done that. That's not something I do. He said, I know you, he said, I know you can do it. And I said, okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, let's, let's see what it takes. And so I said, what is the story of your hotel? And he said, that's exactly it. We don't have one. <laughs> we we're we just bought this property. Um, I believe the property has a story. I would like you to come here and sort of flush out f- with us 
the story of what this property is so that we can tell it to our guests and so that we can have something to share with them. So I went there and I, and I walked the property with them and they were building and I, I asked them for their core values. I asked them why people came there and they told me that um, people come for, to fall in love. So mm -hmm. I created characters from their core values and I created characters that, that told a love story. Oh, nice. And I did that in about eight weeks. And in two months, I had written the story and finished it. Hmm. And we used it as a training manual for the hotel. And they had me come and, and talk about it. And this is a long answer to what was a short question. <laughs> um, pardon me. But I sat with the day before I was leaving. Now, I made up these characters. I made up the story. And the day before I was leaving to go there to do a training with their team, I'm walking along the beach and a voice says to me, what if you didn't make those characters up? Ah. And, and I said, what the heck are you talking about? I made the characters up. And the voice said, what if you didn't? <laughs> what if those characters used you as a way to tell their story? that the story they told through you is the story that needed to be told. Mm -hmm. What if the people that this place is hiring are part of a family that got dispersed over the course of years and this book and this place is drawing its family back together so wow. that the reason people are here is not because they're the best chef in the world or not because they're the best housekeeper or the best front office or the best publicity person, but because they are dispersed family members of this family. And in coming together, the family will become whole and the home of the family will treat other people in luxurious ways like they used to. So, I thought, okay, this is, you know, did I just like take some drugs or something? What, <laughs> what's, what's actually happening? So I went there and, I, and I'm doing this training and this voice comes up in me. And, you know, I, I sort of pushed it aside because I thought this is weird. Right. I pushed it aside. And as I'm speaking, uh, I said, okay, I, I've been trying to push this voice aside, but I can't get it out of my mind. And so I think it wants me to say something to you. And as I'm talking mm -hmm. to them, I said, let me tell you with certainty, I made up the characters in this book. I built them from your core values. I, I did not hear them telling me anything. But yesterday as I was walking along the beach, I told them the story I just told you. So I said, I want you to know that I made up these characters. But there's, I have to say now after that walk on the beach that I have some hesitation that maybe I didn't. Maybe these characters actually came and told me the story and made me believe that I made them up. So you have an option here. Do you want to believe that you were hired here because you're the best chef, you're the best front office person, you're the best rooms, room person, you're the best salesperson, or do you want to believe that you are, that you are part of this family that is being brought back together? <laughs> and I was speaking in a room of about 400 people. Oh, my goodness. And from the back of the room, this big Kohana type guy starts mumble, murmuring under his breath, but loud enough that the people next to him can hear, Ohana, Ohana, Ohana. Ohana means family. Uh... And suddenly the people around them start saying, Ohana, 
Ohana. Suddenly, within the course of less than a minute, a room of 400 people are chanting with fervor, fervency this word Ohana. The oh, lights, this gives me the chills. <laughs> the lights in the room flicker off and on. The window, the doors blow open. Oh my. The microphone system goes goes down. Uh-huh. And I said, like, I'm not gonna say that I didn't that I that I <laughs> I'm not gonna say anymore that the chance isn't that this is happening because look what's happening. Right. Oh so I goodness. said, now imagine your responsibility as you come back as as family to this to your family home from generations and generations and generations ago where you've been dispersed all around the world and you're back home and you've been given the the responsibility and the beautiful obligation to reopen your family home and invite the world into it and to treat them as if they're guests in your home wow well what happened from that is they told me months later that the service scores that the that the way people felt attended to was higher than any hotel Hyatt had ever had. <laughs> and because they took the responsibility that this was their family. And it mm -hmm. wasn't just the spirit of the Hawaiian people because they had another hotel 10 miles away mm -hmm. that had some of the lowest ratings of customer service. Uh -huh. So all, all that, that isn't even about the mosaic. But what, what I'm trying to say through that is that I tried to write the mosaic and I thought that I was going to tell them now my story and it would be easy because I wrote that in two months. This would be easy. This is basically my story. I can write my story shorter than that. Uh -huh. Two and a half years later, I'm sitting with this, with this thing that just won't finish itself. Oh, wow. And I remembered this story of the Ohana. And I said to myself, I need to sit down with the characters in this book and ask them, why they're not letting me finish. Mm. And so we're talking on Zoom, we don't have our cameras on, but in, in a Zoom call with cameras on, that's how I saw these characters coming, that they were all on my computer, like characters on a Zoom, on a Zoom call. Oh, wow. <laughs> and now I may, be, I may have imagined them just like I may be imagining this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh, who knows? But it, mm -hmm. This conversation seems pretty real, right? Seems it. Yep. <laughs> that one seemed pretty real too. And so one by one, they, I said to them, what is going on? Why do you keep corrupting the files? Why do you keep take, uh, dis dis destroying them? Why do you keep hiding them? Why can't I find them anymore? Why are, what's going on? Why isn't this working? And, and one by one, they said to me, we don't want to say what you're telling us to say. We don't uh -huh. want to say what you're writing. We want you to write what we're telling you to write. <laughs> oh, that's pretty clear. <laughs> and, and as soon as I did that, six weeks later, the book was done. Oh, interesting. And it's so interesting because as I hear you read it back to me, mm -hmm. those aren't my words. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I understand them because they're being taught to me at the same time that they're being taught to other people. Mm -hmm. And so the beauty of this book to me is that in music, in, in poetry, in construction, in anything that you do, it isn't the, the things that actually give value to things. It's the space between them 
that actually gives value. A window isn't beautiful because of the framing of the window. <laughs> it's it's beautiful for for the space that isn't occupied, mm -hmm. that you can see through it and you can see perfectly through it to what's outside. In the same way, this book is beautiful to me. The story is beautiful. It, 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 it's a charming story and people really it like it. And it, it mm -hmm. Thank you. And it touches people. But the space between the words tells a completely different story if people would sit long enough and listen to it. So what it showed me is everything in the world is speaking to us, even characters that I thought I made up. Mm -hmm. Why would they be telling me that what you're saying about us isn't what we want to say? <laughs> be because everything has life to it. You don't think our bodies are speaking to us when we have pain? You don't think when we feel fatigued, our bodies aren't talking to us. You don't think the world is speaking to us with global warming. You don't think COVID-19 is a reflection of the world trying to say something to us. You don't think that uh, the situations that we're in, people are trying to say something to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I have millions yes. of stories that I yes. want to share with you, but I want to shut up because I don't want to just keep talking. Like, a, uh, But but it's it's fascinating. No, I love good stories. So I... You know, whatever you want to share with the listening audience is fine. It's it's it, because it's in the moment and it's what people will need to hear. So don't worry about that. Okay. So can I share one more story oh, with you? Oh, please. Yes. So I have, I have what I believe is just the beautiful honor of having a 30-year-old developmentally delayed daughter. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But, but Janine, it wasn't always an honor. Mark I'm my sure. words. Mm -hmm. um, I am a man, man, man guy. I'm not <laughs> a, you know, I'm, I, I have, I've developed my feminine side too, but I mean, I'm a, when, when my wife and I had, had our baby, I said, just as long as you know, I will never change a diaper. That's just not what I do. <laughs> my daughter's 30 years old and still doesn't hold her bow. My, my wife passed away when she was eight years old. Oh, I'm sorry. So I've been changing diapers for, you know, the Jews have a great saying. They say, man plans and God laughs. <laughs> uh, I think she's been laughing at me for quite a long time now. But but what she's taught me is something that I, I, I've been with some of the greatest teachers in the world. I've, I've sat with them around the table. I've known them. They've been my friends. They've shared with me their, their troubles, and I've shared with them mine. Mm -hmm. But my daughter has shared with me a story and a way of being that has completely changed my life. And I want to share that with you if I can. Please, yes. Um, my daughter can't speak like you and I speak. Okay. And so most people, when she tries to say something, don't understand her. And often mm -hmm. when she speaks, I don't understand her either. Mm -hmm. But because I've been with her such a long time, I have a sense more than most people of what she's trying to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to her credit, now she's starting to speak a little bit clearer, a little bit clearer, and more people are, trying, are understanding her a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But she counts on me to get it. Mm -hmm. So when she would talk to me and I didn't understand it, she would start to yell. Mm. And frustration. Would, mm. Frustration. But she also thought, I think initially, that I just wasn't hearing her. So if she increased mm -hmm. her volume, perhaps that would make ah, me hear, right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the volume. It was the clarity with which she was speaking that I couldn't get. Mm -hmm. So when she increased her volume and I couldn't get it, then she would tantrum. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And we could be in the middle of a, of a restaurant. We could be um, at a movie theater. We could be walking along the street. We could be at the beach. We could be giving her a bath. We could be with friends over at her house. Mm-hmm. Um, when mm-hmm. she yeah. got to that place, she would just tantrum. Mm-hmm. And when her tantrum wasn't bringing her what she wants, she would come running at me and attack me. She would try and rip my shirt or bite me. Aww. And this went on for a long time. And Janine, I think I'm a fairly intelligent person, but I couldn't figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any understanding of what was going on. And finally, um, it would happen sometimes three, four, five, ten times a day. Oh, that's hard. And when and when it happened over a course of about fifteen years. Wow. I mean, it's a long time we're talking about. And I was by myself most of that time with nobody Mm -hmm. to go to to help me. Wow. So finally, in the midst of one of her tantrums and her rages and her attacks, I looked at her and I said, Elisa, you know how much I love you. You know how much I want to understand what you're saying. I can't understand your words. Will you speak to me without your words? Mm. Say what you want to say, but don't use words to do it. Do it another way. And from the midst of her rage, she got that smile that just melted your soul. And she looked at me and in perfect English, she said, I am daddy. And I I said, hold it. What the heck do you mean you are daddy? What What are you talking about? And she said, I am talking to you without my words. And she put her finger to the side of her head, which made me understand that because she couldn't use her words, her ability to communicate telepathically was heightened. Mm-hmm. She was putting mm-hmm. thoughts into my her head, and I could feel that she was doing it. I just didn't trust it. Ah, so I okay. said, you little son of a gun, are you putting <laughs> thoughts into my head? And she, he did what you did. But, but imagine her relief when she finally oh, got through goodness. to me. Oh, my goodness. God, yes. And oh. we started laughing contagiously for 15 minutes. Oh. And that's as soon as she would stop, I would just continue, and she would start laughing because uh-huh. I was laughing. And, and we just went on. And, and do you know, Janine, from that moment, she's never raised her voice again. She's never tantrumed, and she's never attacked. Oh, Danny, that is such a beautiful story. I, you know, it makes me feel like, oh, I wish it could have happened like years earlier for both <laughs> yes, of you. <laughs> yeah, me too. But, but here's the, here's the amazing thing. If the story would end there, it would be an amazing story, right? Mm-hmm. But what I realized from her is that everybody that I work with and everybody that I meet does exactly the same progression. When they speak and they don't get listened to, they speak louder. Mm-hmm. When they speak louder and they don't get listened to, they try and create chaos. They try and create a scene. They try and disrupt something. When they disrupt something and they don't get heard, they try and destroy something. That could be blowing up a building. That could be shooting people in a square. That could be ending a marriage. Looting. Mm-hmm. That could be looting. That mm-hmm. could be, you know, look what's happening in, in our world right now as uh, we're sitting here. Right? I know. That when we don't listen to people, then we, they, they have to do something to get our attention. Right. And what she taught me is that if we would only listen, and if we can't understand what they're saying, find a way that we can understand what people are saying. If we would only listen to people, what we would find is that most of our disagreements, most of our wars, most of our hatreds will vanish because nobody wants to hate another person. They just hate another person because they haven't been able to communicate and say what they need to say. Mm -hmm. I would agree. 
all from a 30-year-old developmentally delayed daughter. <laughs> well, it's kind of my understanding that uh, those are the people that tend to teach us the most. Yeah, she certainly. it's certainly been my experience. I'm so glad that you're having a different relationship with her now. And so how long ago uh, did that shift happen? That shift happened about five years ago. Uh-huh. And it's changed everything in the way that I work with people. It's changed everything in the in the situation. So for me, what happened in the mosaic when I wrote it was that realization that when I realized that everything is listening. So the story for is is a story about a boy who loses his parents mm -hmm. two years apart on the same day. And when he asks the adults where his parents are, they tell him they're in a place called heaven. So he sets out in search of the place called heaven. Mm -hmm. But the people he meets are not the rabbis and the priests and the shamans and the gurus and the swamis and the medicine men and the aborigines elders. Mm -hmm. He meets common ordinary people. He meets a trash man and a road worker, a homeless woman and a, a blind man, a blind woman and a homeless man. He meets a gardener and a and a flower girl and a juice man <laughs> and a juice man, right? And so. And when he sits there with him, he wonders, why in the heck am I with these people? What are they going to tell me about heaven? Mm -hmm. But he gets this voice that says to him, you're with them. So why not just listen to their stories? You, don't have, you have nowhere else to go. Just listen to them. In every single case, Janine, what happens is when he listens to them, what he realizes is his first impression of them isn't at all what they are. Right. What he sees in them is a totally different person than the one he first saw. And when that happens over and over and over and over and over and over and over again with every character that he meets, he starts to ask himself, I wonder if the world that I see is the same as this. It's just the world that I see. It's not the world that is. Mm -hmm. What would I mm -hmm. see if I could see the world as the way it is? And he looks over to his right and he sees a monk unzipping the sky. <laughs> and the monk invites him to come through to a parallel reality where he meets the wise one. So I'll hold there as a trailer to the book in hopes that it's enticing enough that people will go out and buy it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's mm -hmm. called The Mosaic. It's available on Amazon. Uh, if you can't find it, it's The Mosaic. Daniel Levin, put those in and you'll find it. But what it shows me is that the world we see is not the world that is. Nothing is as it seems. What we hear is not what we, what is. What we see is not what is. So what would be there if we could slide left everything that we have believed? What would be sitting in front of our eyes then? Hmm. Do you have any strategies as to like how to do that? Totally. Oh, Anything totally. you'd like to share? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, we can make it more personal if you want, if you want to do that, but I can make it very, very common by just saying, have you ever seen that picture where it's a black and white drawing mm -hmm. where one way you look at it, it's an old hag, mm -hmm. and the other, mm -hmm. yep. other way you look at it, it's a, it's a socialite? Yes. Okay. So that picture changed my life also. Because when I first saw it, I saw an old hag. Right. And my friend said to me, well, do you see the young woman? I said, what are you talking about? There is no young woman here. 
-hmm. And they said, no, take a look at it. Stay there with it. Because when I first saw it, I saw a young woman. I said, that's not possible. I said, you know, it's an old woman. And he said, you have to change your perspective. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I changed my perspective and all I could see was the young socialite. I couldn't see the old woman anymore. So what that told me is that in, is that in the very same picture, there were two ways to see the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. What, what does that show me about the life that I'm living and the beliefs that I have? So what I say to people is when, when I work with them particularly, is I ask them to tell me about the world that they see. Okay. And then I say to them, is there any chance, like beautiful, what, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Is there any chance now that the way you see the world may not be exactly the way it is? I mean, any chance, even as small as it could be. Mm-hmm. And normally people will say to me, yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's certainly a possibility. I mean, it's, it's probably, I don't think it's a big possibility, but it's the way I see it, it's the way I see it. And I think that's the way it is, but everything has a possibility. That's good. That's good to know people are open, at least right. a bit open to the idea. Yeah, but they're sort of closed and right. open, right? And I said, okay, that's what's beautiful then is let's, let's, you're probably right, and the way you're seeing it is probably right. But let's, for just the briefest of moments, open up the door to that possibility. What would happen if? What if there was a small little crevice in the wall that you've put up of this is what the world looks like that you could either peek peek through or if there was a window that you could open or a door that you could see on the other side of that wall. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's not a door and there's not a window, but there's maybe a crack there. I said, oh, great. Okay. Let's, let's put your eye right up to that crack. Okay. And now imagine that you can see through that crack. What do you see? <laughs> I'm and, I'm visualizing that, and good. I'm Tell seeing. Me. Okay, I'm seeing through it. It's just it's all light. It's like okay. It's like colored lights um, uh, moving around. It's like and it's just it's all energy. There's no form. Okay, so what I would do with you if you we were working together is I would say, what you see now, try and enter. So now that you see it, you're not bound by the wall that exists that keeps it from you. So slide your way through and enter that space. And now tell me what that space feels like. What what's the density of that space? Does it have a taste? Does it have a smell? What what actually happens? Mm -hmm. And what normally happens is people come up with other possible ways of seeing the world that they never thought was possible. Mm-hmm. And in, in that possibility, you just say, okay. So that, that took us all of about, what, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, an hour? Now imagine what would be possible if we did the same thing again. Imagine now this world that you see that you never, you never saw before. Is there, is there any crevice in that? Is there any hole that you can peek through that you can see behind that? And keep going until you remove yourself and what you believe from what you see. Mm-hmm. So that you just see what's there. In my book, it's the mirror maker. Mm-hmm. Mo walks into the mirror store 
and and nobody knows the mirror store is there. So by the fact that he walks in, the mirror maker observes that he can he sees things other people don't see because mm-hmm. it's sort of a hidden. It, it's a fable, so it's one of those hidden hidden luxuries that you have when you write a fable that you can <laughs> you can make it things happen. Sure. So, I, but nobody else is in the store, and the woman who's running the store says, "You know, I I was told this this boy was going to come into my shop years ago, but I, I very few people come into my shop because they just don't even know it's here." Mm-hmm. So she lets him walk around, and she lets him speak at what he sees, and he comes up to a mirror that is absolutely exquisite in his mind. It's it's made of bronze. And the mirror itself is made of bronze and it's polished so beautifully that you actually see a reflection in the bronze that's your reflection. Mm -hmm. And there are lights that shine on it in just the right way so that you see this perfect, beautiful image. And the mirror maker comes up behind him and says, I see you found the mirror you like. And he said, oh, yes, this beautiful mirror is beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, And, and she says to him, so what do you see when you look in the mirror? And he said, he started to tell her all the stories that he saw of himself in the mirror. And she said, great, that's what you see. What I'm asking you to tell me is what does the mirror see when it sees you? Tell me what the mirror sees when it sees you without your stories. What does the mirror see? The work that I just talked to you about of going through this crevice, going through these holes, is really the work of the mirror maker. Mm-hmm. What would happen if you were to see yourself without all the stories? If you were to see yourself without all your belief systems? If you were to mm-hmm. see yourself without all these rationalizations and defenses and and things that you've told yourself over and over again that are not possible or that are possible or that this is what I like and this is what I don't like? What the mirror just show you? Mm-hmm. What you might see is something entirely different than what you do see. I would venture to say it's more than might. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but I don't want to I don't want to make it too hard for people. <laughs> so what's just happened here in just a short conversation? One of the things we've 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 uh, we've saw from the stories that we've that we've just shared mm-hmm. is that Characters that I made up speak to me. So the world is speaking to us. Everything is speaking to us. Mm-hmm. Things that we think that we see are real, maybe or may not be real. So what? how do we have the gumption to fight with each other about what's possible and what's not possible? How do we, how do we have the courage or the, or the arrogance to say, this is the way I see it and the way you see it is wrong? When in just mm-hmm. twenty, with when in just twenty minutes, we see that we don't see it, we don't see the world the way it is. We see the world the way we are, right through all of our filters, our right? beliefs, our upbringing, our education. <clears throat> and so, what would we see and hear if we saw and heard what the world wants to tell us? That sounds pretty cool. Really cool. Mm-hmm. Really cool. If if you're at a pause, I have another story that I'd love to share with you. Sure, sure. I think I mean I, the the stories you're telling are full of of wisdom and 
you know, it, it's, it's not just a story you're telling. So. Well, you, you give me too much credit. <laughs> or, or whoever your team is that's right. funneling that this through you. Thank you. Thank you. So I've had the opportunity, Janine, to um, have a very diverse life. I, I have been, when my parents passed away, I moved in with my aunt and uncle who were household names. So that gave me the opportunity to see a segment of society that most people don't see. And I didn't see him as um, just people in audiences listening to them talk. I was friends with them. I sat at their dining room tables. I met their parents and their children. Mm -hmm. I've known them over the course of years. And so I've sat with some of the richest people in the world that the world has ever known and had the opportunity to have them have them give insight to me about my life and have me give them insight into them about their life as just friends would do, mm -hmm. not as a vertical relationship, but as a horizontal relationship where we just sat together as friends. Mm -hmm. I've also had the brilliant opportunity to sit on street corners with some of the poorest of the poor mm -hmm. and, and to just do the same thing, to speak with them, to ask them what's going on, to have them give me insights into my life that they see and for if they wanted for me to give them insights into some of the things that I saw in their life. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I saw, Janine, in every single case, it didn't matter how much money they had, how big their house, or how torn their cardboard box. It didn't matter what religion they practiced or what color their skin. It didn't matter what border they lived behind or how many millions they made or how many, how many pennies they collected each day. Every single one of them wanted exactly the same thing. They all wanted to be loved and accepted. They wanted to be listened to and heard. And they wanted to be acknowledged and validated. Not one of them, Janine, over the 65 years that I've been alive, have, have ever said to me, Danny, I absolutely need you to agree with me. <laughs> Never. And one of the people that I met that I really want to share with you a story of is not the CEOs of companies or the billionaires that I've sat with, but a homeless man in San Diego by the name of Corey. Mm -hmm. I was walking and I just felt drawn to go over to this man and, and sit with him. And he was very defensive when I came. He said, this is my corner. You find another place to sit. And I said, <laughs> I said, he said, I said, I work hard to, I work hard to keep this corner. I said, sir, please don't worry. I'm not going to take anything. In fact, whatever you make, I'll 10 times it during the time that I'm here. So I, I want nothing from you. I just want to sit with you and, and talk with you and get to know you a little bit. And he didn't believe me for a while. It took us about yeah. an hour of oh, just wow. sitting together and just having conversation till, till um, he opened up to me a little. And when he opened up, I said to him, Corey, you're here sitting on a street corner. You watch people pass you by all, all day, all night. People walk by you. If you could stop them for one minute, what would be one thing you would say to them that would, that would be meaningful to you? Mm -hmm. And he said, Danny, I would ask each one of them to take 10 minutes out of the course of their day and sit down with someone they don't know and ask them how they're doing. 
I won't ask them to try and fix them or change them or, or, or help them or, or do anything. I just ask them to ask them that one question. How are you doing? And just sit and listen to their response. And I said to him, Corey, out of all the things in the world you could ask for, you could ask for a home, you could ask for food, you could ask for humanity to be better. Why that? Why would you choose that thing? Because you didn't even pause. You knew exactly what you wanted. And he said, Danny, you don't know this about me, but about three months ago, um, being homeless is hard. And about three months ago, I had one one of those days that's just a horrible day. People would walk by and they would spit on me. They would punch me. They would kick me. They would beat me up. They would yell obscenities at me. They stole the money that was in my hat. They would do all sorts of things to me. And I thought, gosh, like it's hard enough to be homeless, but these people hate me. So I made a decision that night to go around the corner because around the corner, there's another street where it's less occupied. And it's dark there at night. And I was going to go around the corner in the darkness of the night. And I was going to take my life. Because I just thought, what, what good am I doing here? Mm-hmm. And not two minutes after I said that to myself, this man came up out of nowhere and put his hand on my shoulder and said, how are you doing, brother? And I said to him, with, with tears streaming down my eyes, not so well, friend. And the man didn't walk away. He didn't run away. He sat there with me and he, and he just sat down next to me and he held me. And he said, I'm here for you. Talk to me. Tell me whatever you want to say. And I cried in his arms and I spoke to him. And he said, Danny, you know what? It didn't take long. It took about 10 minutes. And after that, I realized I couldn't kill myself anymore because someone cared enough about me to pause their day in the busyness of their life and just ask me how I was doing and just listen to me. And that's why I'd like to do that. That man has no idea that day he saved my life. Well, Corey has no idea that the story he told me that day has been told to millions and millions of people in every, in every podcast that I do, in every radio show, in every TV, in every talk that I give, in every workshop that I hold. He has no idea that his story is touching millions and millions of people. (laughs) And that's called the butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what it's, why is, is listening so important? Because we never have any idea what just a few moments of listening will do for another person in their life. It's just about taking time to connect, isn't it? It's about connection. Yeah. Yeah. Caring yeah. in connection. And even when we care, most of the time we care to fix, we care to help, mm-hmm. we care to want to make better, right? We don't just simply, but all that's needed, all that we actually need to do is just take time to love and be with somebody. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I love the title, The Mosaic, for the book, even though it has nothing to do with what I wrote about, except it's the conglomeration of all these stories of people. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the image of a mosaic, there's no verticalness to that story. Mm-hmm. There are right. all these pieces mm-hmm. that are broken or whole, different textures, different sizes, different shapes, different colors. No one's better than the other. No one's, no one's more, more enamored than the other. 
they are all the same and they come together but in all of the say these pieces coming together they create an artistry that is so exquisite so beautiful much more beautiful than any of them could have on their own mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that's the beauty of what the mosaic silently is trying to say to us we don't need to fix or change or help or or correct or heal all we need to do is be together and love each other and in loving each other and listening to each other look what that would do to our politics look at that what that would do to our government look at that what that would do to our educational systems and our medical systems look what that would do to world affairs and how we treat other countries and other nations look at how we would treat women and and people of color look at how we would how would that all change if we could just do that one simple thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the answer is e is simple it may not be easy but the answer is simple <laughs> there is a difference isn't there right there is a difference <laughs> yeah uh-huh but it's so simple and we want to make it so complicated and we want to come out with all these plans and cares and we have to do this and we have to control that and we have to stop this all we need to do is actually just take the moment and care for each other Mm -hmm. And the beauty of Corey's story is that if everybody would take 10 minutes out of the course of their life to do that, every one of us would have the opportunity to spend 10 minutes with somebody we don't know, and they would hear our story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we all are desperate to have our story told. That's true. We're all desperate to be heard. We all to want be... to be heard to be heard, uh, you know, visually, uh, <laughs> auditorily, yeah. you know, and just touch. I love, uh, one of the things that I, I love doing is walking down the street and making an effort to catch somebody's eye and just smile at them. Yeah. You know, or when I'm talking to someone, I, I like to just touch them just, yes. just to have that, uh, that connection, um, just just to create that connection. Absolutely, I saw this beautiful YouTube uh, video on Facebook mm -hmm. of a woman who blindfolded herself and stood on a on a busy street, mm. and she just had her arms out open as if she was hugging somebody, uh -huh. and, she, and she just stood there and waited. And at first, people just walked by her, and many people just walked by her. But then, slowly, one by one, people started to come and come up and just hug her, and she uh -huh. would, and she would hug them. Uh -huh. And she had no idea what they looked like. She had no idea what size they were. She had no idea what color their skin. But she was just there, hugging people. And someone wrote me. Someone sent me that video, and and said to me, "I could see that you doing this." And I said, <laughs> so, I said "So could I." Yes, I have to say, where I live, in the last week, everybody's just, you know, started hugging again. And oh, wow. Like, wow. In fact, yesterday I was somewhere and I, I went to hug somebody. I went, uh, oh, is it okay? And they're like, yes. You know? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, we long for that physical touch and whatever, what it, whenever it will be okay for us all to do it again, wherever we are. Mm -hmm. I think we... Here's one thing, whether we grow from this or don't grow from it. Mm, mm -hmm, one of the yes. things, one of the things that we all will have is we will have the shared experience globally mm -hmm. 
of going through this together. Mm-hmm. And we nobody can take that from us. Mm-hmm. What we decide to do with it, we'll all decide to do. Right. But we will, we will, there will never be a moment in our lives where we won't remember we went through this together. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. You know, what, what, what kind of scares me is how, like, just, uh, you know, not even talking about, you know, whether they work to, to prevent viruses from being transmitted and stuff, but how masks depersonalize us. Yeah. And, and, you know, everybody's supposed to stay, stay six feet apart. And it, the, the psychological, emotional damage to me, I, I don't know. I, you know, what, what's going to come out of that? I, I'm very concerned. So, uh, and I agree with you. And yet there are people on the other side of that equation that will say the whole civil rights movements that are happening right now are because of the isolation that we've had, that nobody is out, that we aren't out working, we aren't out occupied, that people mm-hmm. are able people are able to show up and protest. People are able to see videos of people with knees on their on someone's neck suffocating the lynching them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are it, that it's put us into a different environment where what we would never see before we are seeing now because that's all that we're able to do right that is the plus yes right and and, mm-hmm. and look, who would have thought that a pan, a global pandemic <laughs> would become second page news to a race to to race mm. protests mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. and like what's next right it's just like it's just like what is happening? And if you think about my daughter's lesson, mm. speak, yell, tantrum, attack. Yeah. How much further do we have to let this go until we take the time to just listen to each other? Mm-hmm. Actually, I did think when you were telling the story, I was thinking of what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, the answer is simple. Again, it's not may not be easy. But how hard is it really to just love and accept another person, to just listen to and hear another person, to acknowledge the other person and validate what they're saying? You don't have to agree with them. Nobody, like I said, nobody's ever asked me to agree with them. Some of my some of my best friends have belief systems that I would never in a million years believe. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean they're not my close friends. Right. I love them because I love all the other things about them. And we agree that we're not going to agree on that. Right. Yeah. Agree to disagree sometimes. Yeah. Just leave it there. (laughs) Yeah. And we agree to disagree and we are okay with that. And if you look at a mosaic, the pieces are not put together side by side all the time. That's true. Sometimes they just connect from one corner to another. And in that connection, that means most of the piece, one piece and most of the other piece just don't agree with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's only they, they only they only share the smallest possible corner of commonality, but that small corner keeps the mosaic whole and allows the artistry of the mosaic to be intact. That's the way we have to live life. So what I think I hear you saying is that 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 small piece of connection 
is what we want to focus on rather than what our differences are. Yeah. Like when did it become right that we just point out how much, how different we are from each other? Mm. We know that. I know that a black person has different color skin than I do. I'm a white guy. <laughs> you don't have to point that out to me, but it doesn't mean that they're bad or good or right or wrong. Someone sent me this Harvard test that they do and it. It tests our, op our opinions and our belief systems in like eight or 10 different areas, race and religion and borders. Oh, interesting. And it's really interesting. And I, I think of myself as probably the one of the least racist people you could ever imagine. Me too. Mm -hmm. what, but when I took that test, what it showed me is I have a high propensity that I enjoy being with people of lighter color than with people of darker color. Hmm. And I would have thought that. I would say that's just not true. But in the in the mind associations that I made, they 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 have these pictures of faces. And they show they show pictures and you have to say this is white or black. And, and you know, you, you put with one finger if it's if it's if it's one thing and another finger, if it's another or if it's good or bad. And so you, it, it just shows you what you think. And then they start adding concepts and words to those pictures. And they'd say what and, and you you have to determine what you think, if this is true or false. Mm -hmm. and oh and then you move it tells you you have to do it faster you got to go faster they want to they want mm -hmm. immediate instincts mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what we've grown up with and is what i realized is we've grown up with a world muhammad ali has a really funny video on it that isn't funny mm. where he mm -hmm. says mama why are all the angels white mama where are all the black <laughs> angels oh mama why is the white house white not black why are why when we are good to somebody we we are this but we then we're blackmailed when we don't do something right mm -hmm. and he shows he shows all the connotations of what we believe around black being bad and white being good mm -hmm. why is snow white white as snow mama where's where <laughs> why is jesus white mama and not black you know, where do our people, were our people cooking up in heaven when the pictures were taken? Like, where, where were we? And, and, and it's amazing how ingrown those prejudices are from our earliest childhood. Right, right. That make us somehow believe that one color of a skin is better than another color of skin or that we're more comfortable with that color of skin. Mm -hmm. And it also happens around religion. It also happens around borders. It also happens around economies. It also happens around neighborhoods. It also happens around um, old people and, and young people. It also happens around men versus women. I mean, but how in the world did all that happen? It's hmm, a good question. I, I, it's societal norms, the beliefs that we're inculcated with as we're growing up. Yeah. So, so it's time for all those societal norms as comfortable as they've been for us to just be looked at because remember, nothing is as it seems. Mm. Nothing is as it seems. I just saw something and, and I didn't even know what to believe about it. Like I just saw today that there, that the people that make Aunt Jemima's, you know, the mm, syrup mm -hmm. and that, like they're relooking their whole marketing program. And, and there's something I say, well, no, come on, that's like, that's okay. And then I say, no, that's not okay. 
<laughs> you know, and I don't even know where I stand on it. That's what's, what's I know, interesting. I know. It's, right? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's a cancel culture or if it's something that like how inundated is it into my belief system that that's what I believe without even questioning what I believe. But the mm -hmm. fact that I'm uncomfortable with it changing means that I'm uncomfortable with something else in myself that just doesn't seem right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I I've been wondering about that myself. It's, does everything have to change that could have a, a, you know, like the Boston Red Sox or what, you know, all the, yeah. like the, the Native American um, connotations, the black, yeah. the asian whatever i mean does does all of that i don't know maybe it does have to change i i just i i, I don't know though i i don't i i also don't know and it's just interesting but it's the first time in my life that i didn't know mm -hmm. up until this point i said oh come on i mean i remember when it was when they were doing tomahawk chants in football stadiums mm, mm -hmm. and American Indians were feeling, you know, degraded. Right. Right. And so then I did know that around then. So it wasn't, this isn't the first time, but like everything is up for question. Mm -hmm. And, and is it right for everything to be up to question? Um, and, and, but those are important questions to ask whether we have the answers or not. The questions are interesting. Like, what is it that we actually believe when we see those images mm -hmm. and and how do we create a society that is not predestined to think that one color is better than another in a mosaic there are every color is beautiful mm -hmm. there's not no color is better than another the diversity of color is what makes it beautiful but in our society even in the black world, lighter black people feel better than darker black people. Mm -hmm. yes, and, and right. And so, and because that's because the darker black people were had to work outside in the fields and were beaten and the lighter black people became the consorts of the master. So in other words, the master raped them and they became, had whiter and whiter children because they were light already and had white, you know, uh, white dads. And, and so they, the whole thing propagated and darker black people don't like lighter black people often and mm -hmm. lighter, right. And, and so, but where does it end? Like, when will we start to say none of that? It's important. It's all surface. What's important is who we are. What's important is that we just hear the stories that we that people are saying, and we just don't write them off. We listen to them and respect them, and we acknowledge them, validate them. We'll find our way if we just listen to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know how someone else is feeling if I don't talk to them. If I don't communicate, I mean, like you were talking about what just came to me, say, like with the Aunt Jemima thing. I mean, when I see a, a box of Aunt Jemima pancake mix on the shelf, I, well, first of all, I don't buy it because it's not organic. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, I look at the picture and, and it's just, to me, it's nothing. Right. But perhaps to someone else, when they see it, it is a reminder of how they've been repressed, abused, you know, I, I don't know. Um, right. And maybe there's a just you know in their soul there's this this historical um uh repression that that they feel you know and i don't know and and, and so nor do i you know and and 
what surprised me so much is in this conversation. Like when I get in trouble, I call the police. If I get in trouble, I, if someone's around my house, I call the police. Mm-hmm. And I have no thought about calling the police and having right. them come if something were to happen. Mm-hmm. When I get pulled over on the road by a policeman, I feel uncomfortable. But I don't think I'm going to end up getting shot or 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 pulled out of the car and locked up. Right. I just think they're going to say to me, hey, what are you doing? You were speeding or something. You know, they might not be nice to me, but but or they may be really nice to me. Oh, I used to be really good at talking my way out of that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. But a, a but a black person doesn't have that same right. luxury. Yep. And what I never realized is like, look at what just happened in Atlanta, whether it's right or wrong. I'm not saying a man fell asleep because he drank too much in what he thought was a safe spot in a drive through off of a drive through lane mm-hmm. in a Wendy's. And all of a sudden, police came. They put, brought him out of the car. They spoke to him for 20 to 25, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever the account is. Then they tried to handcuff him. Then he said, I don't want to do that. Why are you arresting me? I didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. He fought with them. He took their taser. He went running. He's tried to fire their taser because he didn't feel safe. And he got shot in the back. Mm-hmm. It, that most likely doesn't happen to a white man. Right. What happens to a white man in every university town all, across the country is police stop and say, let me call you an Uber and get you home. Right. Right. They could have, they didn't need to shoot him. They had his car. They had his, they, they could have let him run. They had, they had his ID. They knew where he lived. They had his car. You know, he was of no danger to anybody Mm -hmm. except he was a black man who then had a scuffle with the police. And then they had a right that they believe they had a right because he, he beat them to take, to take his life. Mm -hmm. You know, those types of questions we have to start asking because they're, they're, now we have cameras that are catching it, but we, there are, they've been happening for for thousands Forever. of for hundreds of years mm-hmm. without cameras. Right. So good things are are emerging from the bad things that are happening. The question is, will it make a difference? Will we be able to change? Mm-hmm. And until we take the time to listen to one another. Until we take the time to care about one another enough. When I realized that everybody wanted to be loved and accepted, listened to and heard, acknowledged and validated, I realized that's something I could do. Mm-hmm. I didn't need a college degree. I didn't need to be a <laughs> minister in, in a religious organization. I didn't need to be an, a, a, a coach. I didn't need to be a government official. Right. That's something that every single human being can do. True. So why don't we do it? It's a good question. It's a very good question. Why don't we do it? What is the mosaic strategy, Danny? The mosaic strategy, we we touched on it. Right. The the mosaic strategy is to create piece by piece. P-E-A-C-E by P-I-E-C-E. Oh, that that wasn't a typo. Okay. (laughs) No, not a typo at all. That, That it literally is when we see the way a mosaic connects together and some of the pieces only connect corner to corner, that means that everything, uh, most of what they believe, the other person doesn't believe. But when we find where we agree with each other, when we find what we share in commonality, even though we have a different color of skin, when our children are hurt, we all feel bad. Mm -hmm. 
even though we have a different religion, when, when people can't afford to eat, we want to help them. Even though we, have, we live on a different border and we can't understand our words, when someone is sick and, and, feels, and feels the need for someone to help take care of them, we all want them to be taken care of. Those are far more important things that we share in common than the color of our skin or the border that we live behind or the religion that we practice. Mm -hmm. But we've given the insignificant things importance and the significant things no importance. The mosaic strategy is to realize that nothing is as it seems, that the lie has become so easy to believe we call it the truth. And the truth has become so hard to believe we call it a lie. Mm. And the lie is that we are separate, that we are not a part of each other. Because we think in terms of bodies and forms and uh, men and women and color of skin and color of, and other color of skin and where, where we're from, how much money we have. But quantum physics is telling us what religion has told us all along, what metaphysics has told us all along that we aren't these bodies we're energy that can that, that lives within these bodies mm -hmm. and that energy is universal that energy is not bound by the bodies and that energy that energy is that same energy that is in you was in gandhi was in adolf hitler was in martin luther king is in donald trump is in all is in the protesters and the people they're protesting against it's in the white supremacists and the black life matters it's mm -hmm. in all of us and until we can come together and just realize we are part of one mosaic we are we are one race the human race mm -hmm. we are one people united and strong we all grew up believing, united we stand, divided we fall. <laughs> right? Yep. What the hell happened to that? I don't know. I don't like, know. Like, what the heck happened to that? We live divided, we fall, united, we don't even know what that would look like anymore. I know. It's like there's a fault line that keeps opening and getting wider and wider and wider. Yeah. And and I think I even understand that. And I know we're going over. Is it okay to keep yes. talking? Or? Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I, I, because I, I do want to ask you about the mosaic swarm. I'd like you to share that with people. Okay. Wow. Okay. So maybe we just go there because otherwise we talk forever and we can do that. <laughs> okay. And you know what? Maybe we'll have another podcast conversation. I love that. I would love that. that would um, be great. Okay. So, so the mosaic swarm is an idea that just came up from um, research that I did with. Uh, I have a podcast also, and on my podcast mm -hmm. was I had a guy by the name of Lewis Rosenberg. Okay. Lewis, and Rose, Lewis Rosenberg was someone who, was, who is, has invented many things in virtual reality, but he's also found a way to use AI to make the human mind think smarter, bolder, faster, better, and come up with solutions that it would never come up with before. Uh -huh. And he and he did it by watching the way primitive species make decisions. Oh, he looked at the he looked at the way fish move together. Mm 
-hmm. They go in a school and you think there's a leader and a follower, but they're not. They connect into a collective mind, into, into one mind, and you can feel them moving in harmony with each other, not following each other. You look at the way birds fly. Mm -hmm. They fly in a flock. They are in, they are in rhythm with each other. There's not one mind leading them and they're following because they're, they're, there would be more uh, distinct movement that wouldn't, that wouldn't follow suit. All of them are moving in the same pattern. They looked at the way bees who were not intelligent, that intelligent, how to create their hives that they would live in for the rest of the, that, their lives. And they would, they would send bees out, thousands of bees out into the world, and they would come back. And they would come together in the hive, and you would see them vibrating towards where they think a good place to be would be. Mm-hmm. And the hive would move until there was no opposition, and then they would move, they would go to that place and, and build their hive. Mm-hmm. So he wondered, is there a way to take the human mind, which is traditionally a vertical thinking mind, Okay. where we have leaders lead, fixers mm-hmm. fix, teachers teach, self-help people help. Would there be a way for it to operate as a swarm, just like these the birds and mm. the fish and the bees? Mm-hmm. And so he created a virtual room and where he had an octagon in the room with different options on the points of the octagon okay. and, a mag- and, a, and a puck in the center of the room that was magnetized by the mouse of people in, in their locations, various oh, locations. Interesting. And okay. they, needed, they needed to find something that they could prove with certainty was that it was coming up with correct decisions or, or not correct decisions. Uh-huh. So CBS challenged them to pick the winners of the Kentucky Derby. Okay. And they said, we don't want you to just pick the winners. We want you to pick first, second, third, and fourth. Uh-huh. And so they said, well, that's, that's hard. We don't know if we'll be able to do it, but let's try it. The odds against them doing it were 586 to one that they wow. wouldn't get, get it right. Okay. So they found 40 horse enthusiasts, people that said they liked horse racing. They weren't professionals. They weren't gamblers. They weren't horse owners. They weren't handicappers. They were just people that occasionally watched horse racing, but said they liked horse racing. Okay. And they brought them virtually into a room and they told them what they were going to do. And in the room on the octagon were all the horses running in the Kentucky Derby. And they said, before we start, we want you to write on a piece of paper next to you, next to you who you think is going to come in first, second, third, and fourth. But don't show that to anybody. Just have that as your private thing. Then now we're going to open up the room and we're going to ask you to all collectively decide who's going to come in first. And you could see the puck, their, their mouse was like a magnet pulling the puck towards the horse that they were choosing. Oh, interesting. And okay. at first, at first, there was you could see them moving a little bit one one side to the other side. There was indecision, but eventually they got to this place that didn't take very long, where they all moved together to one to one thing. Uh-huh. So they did that for first, second, third, and fourth. Well, a bet of twenty dollars on the results that they came up with would have given people eleven thousand dollar reward. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So they, so they thought, okay, well that probably somebody knew it and was guiding it. And they said to people, did anybody pick on their own card, the horse to come in first, first? Zero people did. Oh, how no, about, that's how about, interesting. How about for second? Zero people did. Uh, how about for third? Only one of the 40 picked the horse to come in third, to come in third. And none of them picked the horse to come in fourth, to come in fourth. 
Oh, now that is fascinating. Fascinating, right? Uh. So what they saw through that was that collectively we're smarter. We're able to see things that we're not able to see individually. And by coming together, the influence that we have on each other leads us to different conclusions. Well, that and makes so, sense. <laughs> right, right. And so they mm-hmm. started to do it in sporting events. They started to do it in, in, in things that were predictable. And they have a fabulous predictive analysis tool. And they have a, they created a gambling club where they charge people to come in. And they, and they share with them the answers to certain events and people gamble on it. <laughs> so I, I went to them and I said, what a great way to make money. Fabulous. But do you think it could work in social issues? Mm-hmm. Now they, we're getting to it. And they said, well, we would really like that, but we don't know. Nobody's doing that with us. So I said, how about if we do that together? And before COVID came, I was going to go around the country and around the world and, and sit on street corners and libraries and in convention centers and in corporate offices, in government facilities, in schools, in hospitals, in prisons, in homeless shelters. And I was just going to talk to people and get data. And I was going to ask them, what would they like to see change in the world? And I was going to try and give them options to choose from. Would it be homelessness? Would it be poverty? Would it be global warming? Would it be clean drinking water? Would it be racism? Would it be sexism? Would it be disease disease and health care? And I was, going to, I was going to try and collect data and get people to give me their opinions of what they would like to change. And then I was going to try and run these swarms with people. So I was going to ask anybody who wanted to be a part of the Mosaic Swarm that the fee to be a part of the swarm is $1 a month. Mm-hmm. And I thought that everybody could afford $1 a month. So yes, there are countries where that a dollar a month is like a billion dollars to them. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are people within our country where they can't afford a dollar a month. Mm-hmm. But what I know is that there are also people that a dollar a month is nothing to, and they could afford $2 or $5 or $10 to give a scholarship to those people who couldn't afford it. Right. And we would, the idea is that we would try to amass a minority of 1 billion people. Because mm-hmm. of the 8 billion people that live in the world, 7 billion of them most likely are going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> right? And they're going to think you're a communist or this isn't going to work or what are you trying to do <laughs> or what the hell this isn't, what are you, what are you, this isn't socialist. What are, what are you trying to do? Uh-huh. What I'm trying to do is create a we the people world. Mm-hmm. Where we, the people, decide what it is we want to solve. Where we, the people, decide how we want to solve it. And where we, the people, fund the solutions that we come up with. So that if we had a dollar a month from a billion people, that would be a billion dollars a month that we can invest in whatever the things are that the people wanted to in, wanted us to invest in. Mm-hmm. There would be no board of directors. The people would be the board of directors. There'd be mm-hmm. no one to answer to. So we might make some mistakes. We might get it wrong for or not quite right for five, six, eight, ten months. Mm-hmm. We might throw away $10 billion. But all you'll have lost is $10. All I'll have lost is $10. Mm-hmm. But collectively, we'll be getting closer to finding solutions that we have not come up with for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. So this is something you're just starting then. This is something I'm just starting. Oh, and so how can people 
they're interested, how can people, it's a good segue for this. Uh, how, can, <laughs> how can people connect with you and, and learn about more about this and be a part of it if they'd like? So if they, I have two websites. One okay. is the mosaic online.com, okay. the mosaic online.com, M O S A I C online, O N L I N E.com. Um, and on there you'll see the swarm and you'll also see a contact where you can, you can say, I want to sign up for your email. I want to sign up for your mailing list, or you can do that also on Daniel brucelevin.com okay and there and will be links there will be links on the podcast website to all of this too and at those places you can also get my book the mosaic because in some ways that's the start of it all okay. or you can also get it on amazon so that would be the way connect with me reach out to me tell me what i'm here to listen to people so if you feel like you haven't been heard and you want somebody to listen to you just write me Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. Uh, that's quite a lovely offer. Yeah. Most people feel like they haven't been, been listened to. Another thing I just want to say that I wrote down, the connections you make determine the life you live. Yeah. You know, some people say the five people you surround yourself with is determines the life that you have. But it's really more than that. Mm, absolutely. Much more than that. You just never right. know. It can be, I mean, you don't know. Uh, like I said, like just walking down the street and catching somebody's eye and giving them a nod and a smile. Yeah. That could totally change their day. But it's also the connections we have to the thoughts that we think, the connections mm -hmm. we have to the words that we say, the connections we have to the, to having pain in our body or having freedom from pain in our body. I have pain in my body. My body's speaking to me, but I'm not listening to it enough to get to the place where the pain is, it goes away because the only reason I have pain, remember my daughter's story is mm -hmm. speak, yell, tantrum, attack. Mm -hmm. So what are the connections we're making to the life that we don't want to live mm. to keep us from living the life that we do want to live? That's a very good question. Would you say that again, please? I really like that. <laughs> what are the connections we're making to the life that we don't want to live that keep us from living the life that we do want to live? Mm. Because everything gets in the way of something else. Mm-hmm. And when all we see is the things that we don't want, like I just wrote a post about this today, you would think the easiest thing in the world to create change would be just how simple it is that we focus on what we want and don't focus on what we don't want. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. when you look at the world today, we focus on everything we don't want. All the news is about all the things that, that, we, that we find fault with. Mm-hmm. Well, what we focus on grows. Yes. Rather than if we would just let it all go, it would just disappear and vanish. It, it, there's, when there's no energy behind something, there's no, mm. nothing to sustain it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we keep saying, this is what we don't want. This is where we disagree. This is what's wrong. This is what we feel. Why don't we just say, this is what we do want? <laughs> This is what's right. Because that's too easy. <laughs> yeah. But like, like I, I'm happy you say it because when I sit here and I go through this in my head, this is the easiest thing in the whole world. It's not complicated. And I can't understand why we can't see how easy it is. 
Mm-hmm. Because it's that simple. It's a change of perspective. Mm. There we go. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's Mo walking up to the homeless man and sitting with him in the mosaic. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, what am I doing sitting here with him, listening to his story. Mm-hmm. And hearing the stories that the homeless man tells him and understanding that he's so much more than he ever thought he was. Mm-hmm. Which then opens the his eyes to be able to see the monk unzipping the sky into another reality mm-hmm. that he can walk through easily. Well, that's not, those aren't parallel mystical places that you have to go to. Those perspectives change shifts, change the way, change the world we see. I think Wayne Dyer said it so much beautifully than I can say it. He said, when we change the way we look at the world, the world we look at changes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It's really simple. I think as human beings, we like this. <laughs> On some level, we like things to be challenging and hard. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember when I was in college they sh- and I was studying psychology, they took two professors, both who took the same exact point. One who worked to simplify it as much as possible so that people could get it as easy as possible and another that made it as complex and as and and as hard to understand so that nobody understood it <laughs> and they asked the people in the class who was smarter and who was the better professor and whose knowledge was who who had this thing right and who had it wrong mm-hmm. uh, over 80% of the people said the one that was that they couldn't understand was right and, and better mm-hmm. it was the same exact point Wow, Danny, this has been wonderful. I have so enjoyed this. <laughs> Me too. I, I really would love to um, have you come on again. Um, it would be uh, my this honor. Is, uh, this has been really, really fun for me and just such good information. And I think, well, I mean, it's it's important at any time, but it seems like especially right now that this is uh, even, you know, even more important for people to to, to get and to, to really try to do their best to, to live this, um, you know, and to really, really make the effort to connect and find points of commonality um, as opposed to how we're different in whatever way. Thank you so much for having me. And again, I think, you know, just a great starting place, which makes it so simple for people to start to ask some of these questions is just to get the book from Mosaic. It really is sweet. I'm enjoying reading it. I haven't had a chance to finish it yet, but I'm going to, and I've really been enjoying it. It really is nice. You're very welcome. Thank you so much, Danny. I really appreciate your being on. Take care. You too. Okay. Bye. Thank you, Daniel Levin, for sharing yourself and the work that you do with us. I really appreciate who you are. The podcast website is realjanine.com, where you can listen to or download episodes and click on links to my guest information. And as always, remember, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to your favorite podcast provider and check out my podcast YouTube channel that has video slideshows of all of my conversations. 
Do you know someone who would benefit from my conversation with Daniel Levin? Please share with your family and friends and pick up the mosaic and have a good read. I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks for listening and take care and be well.